and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Vogelman. I catch up with Paul Engelman. Now, Paul has had an interesting career. He fronted the band Device, which had a minor hit back in the mid-80s with Hanging on a Heart Attack. They only released one album. It's a fantastic album, by the way. Paul tells me why. We also talk about his time with that emotion. Now, Paul replaced Bill Wadhams, who was on the show, I believe it was last year, as the lead singer, and he talks about how he got involved in the band and they had the big hit, Room to Move. We talk about his solo work, including his collaborations with Giorgio Moroto. And he's been out of the business for quite some time now. He tells me what he's been up to. Super nice guy, and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Paul. And helping me relive my youth today is Paul Ingeman. Paul, how are you today? Doing great. How about you, Noel? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining us. So uh, I first discovered uh, you with uh, Device, you know, back uh, in 1986. I remember I had the uh, cassette tape of 22 uh, B3, and I got it. I remember vividly, I bought it at the Sears department store. And uh, Yeah. So um, I always thought, like, you were probably one of the most, like, underrated artists of the 80s between Device and Emotion and the Scarface soundtrack and your work with, you know, Giorgio Moroda. Um, you also came from a pretty musical uh, family. Uh, so was this destined to be your profession? Well, you know, uh, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my uh, my father was, was uh, the vice president of NR for Capitol Records and signed people like the Beach Boys and Bob Seger and Steve Miller and Grand Funk Railroad and just a ton of big acts, you know, in the 60s and 70s. And uh, I just kind of grew up studio. Bob was a studio singer. Um, and uh, so even just as a little kid, uh, my sisters and I were in front of microphones constantly for Disney films or all kinds of things because she was a, a vocal contractor. I just, like I said, I grew up in studio. <laughs> <laughs> and my uncle was uh, part of a legendary group uh, that's just now getting a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's way past due. Oh, that's great. Called the Letterman from the 60s and 70s. Yeah. So I, it was kind of like the family business. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I'm sure you, you've you met uh, you know quite a few stars. I'm sure you have some great stories. <laughs> oh, my goodness. When I look back on it and think about the people that paraded through our home, uh, it just, you know, sometimes I, I, I think, wow, you know, I think of it kind of as, at the time I thought of it as just everyday life, but I look back on it and I think I was living in the middle of the history. <laughs> yeah, so you mentioned your father managed the Beach Boys. I'd imagine, like, you heard stories about, you know, Mike Lowe being a little... Like being a little, you know, standoffish. How was he with your interactions with him? Well, you know, my father didn't manage them. He was the head of artists and repertoire for Capitol, so he was, you know, he he was kind of responsible along with uh, a couple of other folks there at Capitol for signing the Beach Boys. Okay. Um, but they were in our house a lot. I I water skied with them as a little kid. And, <laughs> you know, just they were part of our circle. Um, no, you know, Mike's okay. You know, in, in any sort of an artistic situation, everybody's going to have an opinion. You know, Mike just has strong opinions. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the greats uh, always do, right? <laughs> 
Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, like you mentioned before, your sister, who um, you you and her were a musical act for a little bit back in in the like uh, late seventies. Right? Oh my gosh, you've really you've really dug into my background. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, yeah. I was your research. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, my sister and I uh, actually released a few records. My curb, who you know was the same uh, guy who produced Johnny and Marie at the okay. time, Osmond, and uh, we were on MG Records also. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, well, that's a long story, but right. but we uh, we actually recorded Johnny uh, uh, and Marie's first hit before they. I'm gonna it all up to you. Uh, then Mike recorded it with them and released it kind of bless his heart behind our backs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. when, when, when you found that out, like, were you, what was your guys' reaction to that? Uh, you know, hey, of course we were very disappointed, but uh, we uh, we had another, he had another track and put us on that and we released another single. So, you know, it's just, it's shelter. Do do? <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that wasn't the first time that happened, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. So then, um, how did you get involved with uh, with Giorgio Morota? Well, uh, my sister Sean had actually recorded an entire album with Giorgio um, when she was, well, I think, like 17 or so, um, and uh, they became friends and. Uh, uh, actually, my uh, after my sister was divorced from her first husband, she moved back to Los Angeles. She was 
living in Utah, but she moved back to Los Angeles uh, with her young son, and she was working as an actress there, and she and Georgia started dating. And uh, when I moved back to Los Angeles, because my family had moved to Utah okay. at the time, my manager, the Osman family, um, and uh, so uh, I moved back to Los Angeles. I was living with my sister, was introduced to Giorgio, and, and I started doing a lot of Giorgio's demos. So, um, like, I, I did the demo for uh, Never Ending Story. I did the demo for Hi- Highway to the Danger Zone. Um, a lot of big records that, that Giorgio was producing at the time. And uh, when, when uh, he was working on Scarface, um, he liked, I mean, he really liked my recordings. A lot of times he liked recordings of his songs better right. than the other artists, but they, they had names at the time. So he, he submitted uh, my recording of, of uh, Push It to the Limit for Scarface to, uh, to MCA. And the guy who was, I'm, trying, I'm blanking on the name of the guy who was the president of MCA at the time, but he had an act called Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes, oh, yeah. which were kind of contempt- contemporaries of Bruce Springfield, the Springsteen's, I'm sorry. Right. And, um, and uh, he really wanted them to do that song. And uh, so Giorgio took both their recording of it and my recording of it to, uh, to uh, Brian De Palma and said, which one do you like better, you know? And Paul chose me. Oh <laughs> so wow! There, that, that's how that's how I wound up on on, on the Starface soundtrack.
and you know, I just I did a lot of work with Giorgio over the years. He and I co-wrote for the Olympics, uh, yeah, the music for the 1984 Olympics, and that became a huge hit over in, in Europe. It was number one in many countries, you know. And uh, so I went over there and toured. Giorgio's a, 
a musical genius. And I, I, I've been so, uh, so happy for him with his kind of resurgence with Daft Punk and yeah. everybody that he's working with now. It's kind of cool. Yeah, he's you know, in his seventies. <laughs> right, and he's and he's and he's and he's DJing now too. <laughs> Yeah, which which is he's which a genius. Is, yeah, which is he's it's pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. and like push it to push yeah push it to the limit. I mean like it's like an iconic eighty song, and it kind of like stood the test of time also, and kind of had resurgence. You know, with uh, certain TV shows use it as well. I know South Park used it. I think uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia, um, and I think it's been a couple of video games as well. Uh, well, and, and Rick Ross had a big hit with it again. Yeah, you know, yeah. So, so, it. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, what's yeah. kind of like your relationship with the song now? Well, you know, I mean, I was the original artist. That's <laughs> right. But I mean, like, 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 you hear it. Like, what's like your initial reaction when you hear it? Oh, it just brings back a lot of great memories. You know, uh, of uh, of these. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, it's so funny because my sister is married to Larry King right. you know, from CNN. And um, and Larry, when he was dating her, um, one of Larry's good friends is Al Pacino. Okay. And, uh, and, and as a matter of fact, Al kind of coached him on how to date her. <laughs> you know, he was kind of giving him guy tips. Right. But um, when they got married, Al, uh, Al read poetry at, the, at their wedding. And the big joke is every time Sean and Larry uh, see Al, you know, they say, you know, uh, Sean's brother, he goes, I know, saying the same song. <laughs> they, they, say every, they say it every time they get together. Right. Oh, <laughs> that, that, that's too funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, and you mentioned, like, you uh, you did demos for, like, Never Ending Story, which that was performed by Lamal, and I guess... I guess at that time they thought he was a bigger name than you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah, do, do you still have yeah. those like those demos of like that and like Danger Zone? You know, I don't. I'm oh. sure they probably exist somewhere in Giorgio's archive, but uh, no, I don't. Uh-uh. Right. Yeah, that, that'd be that'd be great to hear because I'm, I'm sure like you've knocked it out of the park. I know like Kenny Loggins, Danger Zone. He was like movie soundtrack king for the '80s, but. That that would yeah. have been mm-hmm. pretty interesting to hear, but then um, <laughs> yeah, then you you moved on a little bit and uh, device. I know uh, Holly Knight came up with the band, and I I tried getting her on the show. We kind of went back and forth for a little bit, and unfortunately never heard back from her. But uh, how did you how did you get involved with device? Well, um, I uh, had a good friend named Ron Fair, and uh, Ron. Um, He's kind of a legend in the music business now. At the time, he was just a work man, our guy at, at Chrysalis Records. Uh, and I had known Ron since he was a young, young guy. Ron was kind of, uh, uh, kind of looked up to my father as a bit of a mentor. Mentor, And my dad was always quite nice to Ron. And so we stayed in touch when I, and he, like I said, he was at Chrysalis Records when I was in Los Angeles working with Giorgio. And um, I had been doing some writing of my own uh, with another guy named Jerry Wilkins, who uh, was a terrific writer and uh, and uh, arranger, and I was kind of shopping a deal, you know, looking for for a record deal on my own, and I I I, I got together with Ron and and uh, I remember we were sitting in the parking lot. We had just Ron lived in Studio City, and I grew up in Studio City, 
and I was living in Studio City at the time, um, with, and I was newly married to my wife, Suzanne. Right. And uh, so we all got together just to kind of hang out, and we were at, we were sitting in the parking lot of um, Savon, <laughs> <laughs> on the corner of uh, Laurel Canyon and Ventura Boulevard, listening to demos in my uh, on my car cassette uh, player. <laughs> And, uh, you know, Ron was giving some of his feedback and everything, and all of a sudden he had a, a light bulb go off in his head, and he said, wait a minute, you know what? We've got, a, we've got a, a, an act on Chrysalis from Holly Knight, and she's putting together this band. And, you know, he explained to me kind of, I mean, I had heard Holly's name, but he got me up to speed on everything that she'd written. And he said, they've auditioned over 400 singers, wow. and they can't, they can't find a singer. Um, and, and the producer's going to be Mike Chapman, who uh, who produced Blondie and a lot of other you know big acts. Um, and he said, you know, I'm going to I'm going to submit some of your stuff to her, and uh, maybe this might be a fit. Um, so all of a sudden, I get a call from Polly, and uh, and and uh, we you know they arranged a time for me to come in uh, with uh, with her and with Mike Chapman. And uh, just kind of put my voice on on something, you know. And um, got a call, but hey, you know, we'd like you to join the band. So that's kind of how Device came about. Right, and the the album, I, I still love it. It's great, uh, Twenty Two B Three, which is a weird title. It sounds like a Star Wars droid <laughs> or, or or something like that. Um, do you even know what the title means? Do you know what Mike Mike Chapman and came up with that title and uh i think it was probably pretty stoned one night (laughs) 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 and and i still don't know what it means and he kept challenging us to figure it out i I was thinking well does that have something to do with a b3 organ or like what you know i couldn't figure it out i don't know just cryptic (laughs) yeah exactly exactly it means whatever you want it to mean, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 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 So, I, I, you know, the, the, the big uh, song off that was Hanging on a Heart Attack, which was a top 40 hit. I think it reached like 35.
a great yeah, yeah a, a great song. I recently heard it. That's why I, I reached out a couple months ago. I, I, I heard it on Sirius XM on the 80s channel. And uh-huh. yeah, you know, it brought back memories. And I'm like, you know what? I, let me let me do a little research into the band because when when you get you know the cassette tape, which I don't have a cassette player anymore, you know they have uh-huh. like the liner notes and stuff like that. But now with all like you know digital, there's no no more liner notes. I really didn't know back then who you know who was in the band. So and I did research uh-huh. and you know, and I found out it was you. You know, it was you know an animation and had you know pushed to the limit as well so that that's that's why i reached out because i was a big fan sure. of, of, of the album and it also had some other uh, great songs as well you know who says and some some great titles on that album as well uh yeah, you know yeah. F- fall apart golden heart and uh tough and tender uh-huh. you know it's um what what or why didn't you think that album kind of didn't get as big as it really should have well, I'll tell you, I mean, AOR acts, you know, you have to, you have to release a couple of albums and, and, and in the day, back in the, those days, before social media existed, um, and, and before the new channels of distribution that the record, record industry uses now existed, really the process was you did an album and you toured right. and you created a name for yourself. Um, and um, and then you know you, you kind of built the name up, and then you got more accepted at radio. Although you know, I mean, Holly was a big, big writer at the time, and people were sort of looking towards the band and watching. Um, but you know, unfortunately, Holly, her whole reason for wanting to to have a band was that you know she was kind of frustrated because she kept writing songs for other people and right. they would have hits and they were becoming extremely famous and she kind of felt like, gosh, you know, I'd like to be out front too. Unfortunately, Holly really wasn't the lead singer. You know, she, right. she, she, she could carry a tune, but she just wasn't the lead singer, you know? Um, and so I think it really, really frustrated that I was out front. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, after the record was released, you know, she, she just, I think she just became so frustrated she wanted to do her own thing, and so she wanted to do a solo album, and she could disband the band right at the point where we probably would have broken out, you know. Um, we had just, um, we had just gone into the studio, and we were starting the second album, and the first single was going to be a little song called, called Simply the Best. Oh, wow. Remember that? Oh, Tina Turner, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I recorded that one first too. <laughs> right, of course, yeah. <laughs> wow, that, that's yeah. amazing. That's amazing. I mean, so if she would have stuck it out, you you would have had that song, and you probably had would have had a couple other songs that you know maybe she didn't write yet. She would have come up with because she's a Hall of Fame you know songwriter. Yeah. You know, it's uh, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. it's too bad. Yeah, you know? Holly's an amazing, amazing songwriter. I mean, just uh, she's you know she this is legendary. At, at the point that I. Uh, I believe at the point that that device was happening, she had just had like five five records in the top ten at the same time that she'd written. Remembering that correctly, so she, you know, gosh, you can't take that away from Holly. She's an amazing writer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she had, I think she had like the Warrior, right, and uh, I think a couple of heart songs, maybe. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, heart. Um, she, she. Uh, let's see. There's the one from Animotion, Bad Session. Yeah. Um, 
so many. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And okay. And since since you mentioned um, and emotion's a good transition, um, I interviewed Bill Wadhams probably a couple a couple months ago, and uh-huh. um, yeah, great guy. But they, he it was like a, I guess a mutual split from him and the band, and then you you uh, took over for him. What was that process like? Uh, same same well, thing, when, like auditioning, uh, like uh, like you did with no, Device. Uh, no, when when Device broke up, uh, Anna Motion was very aware of Device. You right. know, they were fans. Right. And and um, so I, I got a call from their um, management uh, saying, "Hey, we've we've just kind of parted ways with Astrid and Bill, and." Um, you know, they asked me to step in as a lead singer, so I, you know, went and met with them. Um, they were managed by, and I'm going to blank on the guy's name, but he, he also managed Richard Mark. Okay. Um, and, uh, gosh, I cannot remember their names. But, uh, frankly, they were just terrible people. <laughs> <laughs> but... Uh, Richard's girlfriend uh, was Cynthia Rose. Yeah. And Cynthia, they, they later got married. They're divorced now, uh, but uh, were married for many, many years and have kids together. But Cynthia was in uh, the movie Dirty Dancing. Right, and, Flash uh, Dance. Uh, uh, well, the other one with uh, John Travolta on Blank and Staying Alive. Um, and she was kind of a dancer, singer, and uh, so, you know, Richard recommended her and uh, that's how she wound up in the band and so I, I wound up in the band right but uh, the management team for Animotion oh my gosh they, they were just the freaking worst so. <laughs> <laughs> are you guys listening I hope you are yeah right <laughs> I'll, I'll make sure yeah <laughs> yeah so so then were you I know you recorded an album and you had like you know top 10 hit but were you, did you sing any of like their their old songs? You guys go on tour because I don't remember any of that. Uh, you know, when we toured, we didn't. We were kind of kind of doing more of the material. So no, right. I, I didn't do uh, "You Are My Obsession" in concert. Uh-uh. But you know, it's so funny uh, because of the world of social media. Again, I never met Bill. Okay, uh, Wadhams, and uh, he recently reached out to me and became a Facebook friend and said, "Hey, you know." So cool if we, when we come to Salt Lake, you know, you ought to, you ought to, you know, we'll do Room to Moon and you ought to come up and, and sing with us. So <laughs> maybe that'll happen one of these days. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That'd actually be great. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, like, back then, you know, there wasn't social media and, like, you weren't, like, that accessible to, like, you know, fans and you really didn't know much about bands unless you mm-hmm. actually saw, like, an interview on TV or something like that. So when I heard Room to Move, I just assumed that it was like you know Bill and Astrid playing, you know, because because right, uh-huh. you, you really wouldn't know. And then years later, that you found out that uh-huh. he left and and, 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 you, and you replaced him. But yeah, I mean, you, you guys had a, a big hit with Room to Move.
So, um, so what happened after that album? Because if you, you had a top ten hit, it was, that was the only album you guys recorded, right? Yeah. Well, this is uh, it's the uh, uh, the ups and downs of a wonderful business we call music. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, we were uh, we were on Polygram Records, um, and uh, Polygram at the time was trying to do a merger with another company, and um, unfortunately, you know, like you can have a hit record. We had done a video for Room to We'd done some, a little bit of touring, and uh, but we were still the album was still in a position of not being fully recouped as far as right, okay. cost. And and so uh, Poly, Polygram was trying to merge with this other company, and they were trying to make their books look good. So basically. Any, any group that wasn't fully recouped, even if they just had a top 10 record, was dropped from the label. It's just so ridiculous how, how things work, you know, sometimes in the, in the music business. That's what happened there. All right. So then did you try to make it on your own, you know, try to get a solo deal anywhere? Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, the thing was is uh, I had uh, several deals. But uh, once again, the music business—it's a rough business. Um, so uh, I was uh, originally signed by um, the guy that uh, his name was Artie Mogul. Artie um, uh, discovered Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, okay. And 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 but Artie had also been the the president of United Artists Records for a while. He was he worked under my father at Capitol Records, so I had known Artie since I was a little little kid. But he was kind of blown away by my stuff and signed me to his uh, label. Uh, but it was a bit of a struggling label at the time, and Artie was going through real problems. His wife was passing away from cancer, and there was just some like uh, there was like some real craziness that happened there. They owed me a lot of money, and um, so I, I finally just walked that deal. And I was in negotiations with RCA because they wanted to sign me also. It, but it just, you know, just a process in those days of, and well, Skype, maybe it's the same now, 
you, you wrote a bunch of material, which of course took you about to do, maybe a year or more. Right. And you did you did demos, and then you you know you got a deal and you recorded it, and you know, they released a single. If it didn't if it didn't do what it was supposed to do, you kind of got dropped and had to go do it all over again. And I was married and had a child at the time, and I just kind of was unwilling to keep going through that process. Uh, and so that's kind of when I left show business. I, uh, you know, I, I uh, my wife and I started an interior design firm, and uh, we wound up on the front cover of Architectural Digest after um, eight years, and uh, had a big firm. And uh, in 2005, I got involved in the world of network marketing, and I'm a top distributor and have been in two companies. <laughs> so okay. that's my life past show business. Oh, that's that's great. Um... So has there ever like been like a niche to get back into it, or even like were all these like '80s tours? Have any, have any of those tours like <laughs> have any of those tours like reached out to you at all? Uh, you know, well, not not really. Uh, you know, there's so many people that it, it's so interesting. Device has such a cult following. After it does, all these yeah. Years, it's just that album has such legs. Um, there are, there are Facebook groups dedicated to trying to get us back together. Right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I, you know, I, I, I don't uh, crave uh, getting back into the business. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was a fun ride. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, like you said, you know, that, that album is great. What, um, what were some of your favorite songs off that album? Oh gosh, you, there's really not one that you can name that I don't like. Right. I mean, it's it's really, um, uh, you, you know, I, I I very rarely pull out my own stuff and listen to it. You right. Know? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, but uh, my wife is a big fan too, so every once in a while she'll play the island, <laughs> and I go, man, you know that thing still has legs. Those are great. Those are some great songs. Yeah. It, I mean, and. Uh, like you said, I mean, it's it's it really is. There's not one bad song on that album, and they're, they're all the yeah. all the title tracks are great, and it's it's really a really a fun fun album. But do you remember where you were when you like first heard one of your songs on the radio? Oh well, you know, I was actually quite a young kid when that happened. Right. Uh, you know, because I was solo artist in, uh, on MGM. And heard my record on the radio and, and other things, but yeah, I remember when I heard "Hanging on a Heart Attack" on the radio. I was in the 405 in Los Angeles yeah. <laughs> yeah. with my wife in the car, and we were pretty jazzed. I, I bet, yeah, <laughs> right. Or like, where is like the most like interesting place you've heard like one of your songs? Oh my goodness, you know. Um, I don't know that I could name any any one place, but but every once in a while I'll get a, a, a one of my friends will PM me on Facebook and say, "Hey, I just heard uh, you know Room to Move, or I just heard Hang on a Heart Attack, or I was at the gym and they played uh, you know Push It to the Limit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just kind of fun, you right. know, yeah. to be a little bit of the culture, be part of the culture. Right, of course, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'd imagine, like, you know, probably most gyms should play that song at least once an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a great, great motivator. But, um, like, in, in, in your current work, does anyone, like, know, like, your whole background? Oh, you mean where I'm working? Oh, you mean with my... Uh... 
Yeah, well, you know, network marketing is a, is a, is a huge industry, but yeah, they sort of know I'm a, they, they call me their resident rock star. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. So yeah. So do you perform at the at the uh, holiday parties? <laughs> <laughs> Just my own family. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, every, every, every year, Sean and Larry a big, uh, have a big party at their home. Uh, they they have a home in Beverly Hills, and they also have a home here in Provo, Utah. And they come up for the holidays. And yeah, they have a big party, and there's a pianist there. People bring their own tracks, and it's it's kind of. Uh, you know, Hollywood in Utah. Right, yeah. <laughs> that party. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, Paul, thank you for a few minutes today. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck, and I'll make sure those uh, Animotion managers get get to hear this. <laughs> yeah, there you go. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, know, It's great chatting with you. And a special thanks to Paul for joining us today. Go revisit Paul's music. You can find it on iTunes. You can find it on Spotify, all the streaming services, especially the Vices album. It's fantastic. You can follow me on Twitter at thepersonal 19 Be sure to like the page Reliving My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes. Check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud, on Podbean. A new episode of Reliving My Youth comes out every Wednesday. And happy Thanksgiving, everybody.